This is the Ezra Podcast. It's a big fight weekend for boxing fans, for MMA fans, for just fight fans in general. And you know what? You don't have to pay a pay-per-view. And that's rare. So we should really, you know, take advantage of this weekend. Really enjoy this weekend, especially because the fight times all line up perfectly for you to catch everything. Not going to need dual TVs like I usually do it. Sometimes you need to go three. Sometimes you just need to bring in that three screen and just have your eyes just burning the next day. And you really can't afford it because it's football Sunday. So you can't afford to have your, to let Sundays have your eyes recovered because there's no time for that. You're not going to have to do that this time. You're not going to be cross-eyed to watch the fights. You're going to be able to see everything. You're going to be able to take it all in. You got, and you know, I usually start off with the biggest fight. And to me, the biggest fight this weekend is Anthony Joshua versus Alexander Yusik. And the, the reason why this is the biggest fight is because he got the heavyweight champ of the world in boxing, Anthony Joshua. At least the man that owns a piece of it, right? To me, he has the best resume of any heavyweight. And he's fighting a, a challenge of, you know, a pound-for-pound talent. Now, he's the, the problem with it is he's a pound-for-pound talent, but he's not a heavyweight. You know what I mean? He's, he's, he's new to heavyweight. He was a cruiserweight king. And now he's going to heavyweight. And the... Maybe this is diminished a little bit, the, his threat a little bit, because due to his size. But I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure that it's the size that's the biggest factor in this fight. But do know that Anthony Joshua is getting in there with an elite talent that can do some things that probably no one Anthony Joshua's ever been in the ring with could do, especially with his legs, especially with his movement, his upper body movement. Anthony Joshua has never really been in the ring with a guy like this before, and for that you have to. It's it's. It's gonna. It's you have to be excited for the matchup. You have to be excited to what this looks like and what this could be and what this could mean because this could have uh, ramifications throughout the heavyweight division. I was just on. Uh, I was talking on Chicken Talk and shout outs to Chicken Talk because I I think that's uh that's one of the, like that's a that's a fight fan's dream that that thing where you could just have like a bunch of different people's opinions and takes on boxing. They're just all arguing and hashing it out and it's funny. It's 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 everything. It's everything you need. But I was telling. I was I was I. Finally got in there, and um, I was talking about how Fury, right, he could put himself in a beautiful situation. Let's just say, right, that Fury beats Wilder. Let's say that Anthony Joshua lose, loses to Usyk, and Wallin, Otto Wallin, beats Dylan White, Dillian White. And Fury has a win on Wallin, right? So just another name, a credible name that you add to his resume, right? And then Joshua's eliminated, so now Usyk, who is... Now, in the picture, he's definitely not the number one guy. He would put Fury at the number one guy. And I guess the same thing for Wilder, right? It's just that he doesn't have the wall and win. That's why it was so big for Fury, right? That just, These turns of events can happen within, like, the next three months. And this is one of the, the key factors. Now, of course, Anthony Joshua wins this, and Fury wins. Then you can match them up. And that's, that's fights been made before. You know, people get a little pissed when you say that. But the fight was, you know, technically been made before. And they can they can match up again. And let's say Wilder wins, right? He beats Fury. And let's say Fury wants to go again. And say Fury doesn't want to go again. Then he can match up with Joshua, right? All these things, it's all falling into place. It may not fall into place the way you want it, right? It may not fall into place the way I want it. But it's falling into place. And that's the beauty of it. Is the boxing really settles. Uh, over time, it will settle the debate. So going into this fight, well, you know, what kind of chance do you really have? And I asked, you know, what, what, how big of a win is this for you, for uh, Joshua? And it seems to be right in the middle of all his big names. It's right in the middle. So it's a very credible win for him. Of course, usage, if he wins, this would be the biggest win of his career. Be the biggest moment of his career. Does he have a chance?
I think he does. I think that there, there's things that he can do, especially with his legs, that are going to make it very interesting, right? Especially if Joshua cannot keep up with the in and outs of usage, right? Especially if Joshua's not be able to adjust and it makes jo- Joshua fight at a pace that he doesn't want to fight at. Because Joshua likes to fight at a controlled pace. The fastest pace that I've really seen Joshua fight at. Uh, you know, the Dillian White fight that they trade back and forth, Kushko fight trade back and forth, but the, really the fastest pace w- was the Andy Ruiz fight where he had to move around the ring. Now, it wasn't maybe the fastest pace of punches being thrown, but it was the fastest pace of movement that he had to do, right? The movement he had to move and circle around the ring and stay defensively aware all the time. And Andy Ruiz is faster. He's a faster heavyweight. He's, you know what I mean? So that's what caused him to move. That's what caused him to have to stay aware of the 100% of the time. He couldn't really fight his pace when he's usually fighting a bigger fight, uh, a fighter as big as him or a sluggish fighter or, you know, sluggish heavyweight. And Yusuf's going to be able to do that. He's going to be able to do things with his leg that's going to make Joshua have to constantly react. And that's going to test Joshua's gas tank. And I think that if you come to questions of Joshua and like, what do you say? Oh, what are his weaknesses? It's going to be the, either the questionable chin or the gas tank. Now, the questionable chin is also survived against some of the biggest hitters in the world, but he's also... You know, it's 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 buckled. The chin has buckled before. So has Wilder. So has Furies. Um, Wilder seems, to me personally, has the most credible chin of the of the of the three top guys at the heavyweight division. I think Joshua definitely has probably the most questionable one. Um, Fury's right there in the middle. But remember, Fury was dropped by um, SS Cunningham, and he was dropped by Wilder. So he ha- he has been down a few times. So you know, I couldn't say he has the most you know credible mo- most uh, credible chin in the world. So the question is: Is Yusuf have the power to really test Anthony Joshua's chin? Well, I, th- I think he does. I think Yusuf has some, a decent pop, and maybe not a decent pop to knock out all the heavyweights, but a decent pop to maybe knock out a Joshua, or maybe at least hurt him, or at least change the momentum of the fight. I think he has that, and Joshua. Has responded well to being knocked down before. Like, we knocked out Klitschko, right? Has been hurt by Dillian White. Uh, but he's also not responded well when you come to the Andy Ruiz fight. And I think this fight is more comparable to Andy Ruiz as far as, like, the speed and just uh, athleticism that I don't think a lot of the other fighters bring that Joshua usually faces. I think Joshua's leaned down in this fight for a reason because he knows he's going to have to move. I think Joshua's going to have to be the hunter in this fight. The advantages that I think that Joshua's going to have, though, and I think that will generally win him the fight, is his length. Because I don't think, I think that you want to put this like in a category that we've seen before, maybe like an Andy Ruiz, Roy Jones, if you're favoring usage, right? Or something like that. But usage isn't the, the athletic speed Roy Jones, not even close, right? And footwork or anything like that. Joshua is nowhere near as clumsy or sluggish as Andy Ruiz. That's just not the case. So you're going to have to meet in the middle on both situations. And Andy Ruiz can box. He has skills. I mean, I'm sorry. Anthony Joshua can box. He has skills. He has technical abilities. And he could do things at different ranges. Now, usage is, I think, a little bit more fluid, of course, because he's a smaller man. But I think that the distance, right, when him and Anthony Joshua are at a distance and Yusuf is going to have to really work to get on the inside and do a lot of, uh, have some tricks to get on the inside, I think Joshua is going to be able to win those boxing matches just because he's going to have him at a distance and the work that Yusuf's got to get in, he's going to have to get jabbed. He's going to, I just think by the time Yusuf maybe is able to get in or maybe able to figure out a, a, a 
figure out how to put momentum on Anthony Joshua, I think Joshua's going to have enough rounds of the bank. Because in those early rounds, it's not like you is just going to outbox him. It's not like it's just going to be a one-sided skill factor. No, Joshua has skills himself. And I think that his jab's going to play a key factor in this fight. I think Yusuf's best opportunities is definitely keeping Joshua active, making Joshua chase him, making him move, making him stay defensively aware, making him think a lot in this fight. And then in the middle rounds where Joshua does kind of, you know, his cardio could fall apart a little bit, being able to apply that pressure at that point. Because he is going to have to apply pressure. He's not going to be able to outbox and win the thing. It's just not because Joshua could box. So he's going to have to, at one point in this fight, similar to Lomachenko, Tiafimo, is figure a way in in this fight and apply that pressure. And it's going to be better late than early. You want Joshua to use a little bit of what he's got, make him work, make him think. And Joshua did get tired in points of the Andy Reeves, even in the second fight. He did. There was a point where he had just had a hold on. It was a little bit kind of lit. Andy Ruiz getting in on the inside a little bit. And Yusuf's legs are a lot better than Andy Ruiz's. His ability to get on the inside, the tricks he has, the circling, the tight angles, he's going to be able to get on the inside at some point in this fight. And he's going to have to take that chance. I think Anthony Joshua is going to win a lot of early rounds in this fight. I think the part where Yusuf's trying to figure it out, he's going to give up a lot of rounds. I think there will be a point where Yusuf does get on the inside and they're able to exchange and he's able to do some good work. And then I think Joshua's power comes in a factor there because he could fight from all sides. And when Yusuf is going to make a change, I think Joshua will be able to make the change and be able to adjust. And I think Joshua eventually lands the big shot and he puts Yusuf out. I think Yusuf puts up a credible, uh, a credible performance um, that, you know, you want to see him a heavyweight again. You'll want to see him fight good guys again. I just think Anthony Joshua's maybe just a little bit too much to chew. I think he's more skilled. He's definitely the bigger man. I don't think he's more skilled. I think he has more skill than just like your normal big man. But if Yusuf wins this fight, it gets interesting, right? Because you have to imagine him versus Fury is, is a highly skilled fight. Could be almost a boring fight. Um, it's a it's a fight that Yusuf, I think, would like. I think Yusuf would... Uh, would be to me going into that fight would, would fare be- better in that fight than he would with Joshua or what he did with Wilder because Wilder could put you sleep one punch and I think that that would be and he's really fast so he, he'd be a lot of trouble for you he just kind of doesn't want that and I think Joshua he's like right in the in between where he's like well balanced skill power not not you know extremely fast but not exactly slow either I think Fury is like that point where it's like almost like a boxing match it's more at the pace Yusuf wants, more in this type of style that Yusuf will want in that fight. And uh, Fury has some, you know, power. He's a big man, but he doesn't have, like, that lights-out power. I, th- I think that matchup would be good for him. So if he could get past Joshua, then, like, Fury versus usage is very interesting. And if Wilder wins, then it's, you know, skilled, skilled little man versus fast, powerful big man. That's an interesting matchup as well. So, like, I don't think you come out of this weekend without an interesting matchup or an interesting storyline. It's something in here is going to be interesting. I'm favoring Joshua. I think Joshua is somehow we talk about Joshua like if he's lesser. And, and I, you know, I used to look at it and be like, I don't know how you would beat Wilder because Wilder's eventually going to land a big punch, right? He's eventually going to land a big shot. But then Fury kind of eliminated that, right, in the second fight, where it's like, no, he doesn't have to. And if you could box him and you could push him back, he would have a real hard time. And it's like, why can't Joshua do that? Joshua is a big man, hits hard, has a lot of skill. And why couldn't he push Wilder back? So for a while, like, Anthony Joshua was almost, like, taking a backseat to these guys. Especially when, like, Fury and Wilder fought. The first time, you would think, like, well, Joshua's obviously the third man, it felt like. 
But while we've been saying that, talking to these guys, he's been putting together good win after good win. He fights tough guys. It's not like he's dodging. It's not like he's doing tune-ups all the time. He's fighting good guys, credible guys. And Yusuf's another credible guy, like a guy that no one's really bringing up to fight, but no one is fighting him. Like, no, he's not, to me, a give-me in any any way. You know, he's a pound-for-pound skill. Like, that's, if you're going to give Earl Spence the credit for being Mikey Garcia, this is around the same level, if not equal, if not better. You know what I mean? Then Earl Spence fighting Mikey Garcia. This is right there with it. That's the kind of skill we're talking about here. Usage. So you have to get credit. It's not the full credit of being the full usage because I think he has the weight advantage to it. But then let's see how usage looks, right? Let's see how usage is. Uh, I don't think he's going to look extremely tiny in there. I don't. I think he. I think that he his, he's carrying the size. He's going to carry the size uh, well usage, and I think that he's looked better than the last two. They just start off with Chaz Witherspoon, right? And then he went to um, I want to say uh, not Charlo. Um, what the hell is his name? I'm blanking on his name right now. He went to uh, Chaz Witherspoon, and then I can't believe I'm going to look this up. Just wait one second. Versus everything's offering Joshua. Uh, usage fight. One second, one second. Uh, Chisora, Chisora, Charlo, that's why I messed up. Uh, versus Chisora, he looked better in that fight. He looked like he adjusted to the weight better. Now, Chisora's pow- power and strength, you've you seen it when he hit him in the arm, he felt it. Um, but he also wasn't like exactly a complete, you know, running around the ring, dodging, avoiding the action. No, he was putting pressure on, uh, Chisora, I think Chisora was feeling those shots. Now, Chisora has a gas tank problem. Pretty, you know, uh, infamous one. And I think the usage definitely took advantage of that. But I just think... Reminds me of kind of like when Fury came back and he fought two guys that, you know, weren't any really threat to him. And he didn't... wasn't like, oh, wow, he's wowing you with those wins. And then he goes and fights a Wilder and he's just, like, ready to go. He's just firing on all cylinders. I, I think that could be what we're getting with usage. He's coming in right at the right time. Two fights, looked better, was improving, and now he knows. I he knows what it's like to be in heavyweight. He knows, he he feels the speed, feels the power, feels it on his on his uh, guard, his his on his arms. He felt that power. He felt he got hit with some good shots. He felt it. He's he's ready to go now. He's not unfamiliar territories. I love this matchup. I love. I think it's a. I think it's exciting. I I, I think that Joshua is just really underrated on that. On like the fights that he takes. I think he really is underrated. I think that he fights a lot of guys that no one really brings up that are pretty tough, pretty tough opponents. And he fought Joseph Parker when, you know, Joseph Parker was kind of like a threat. Joseph Parker was considered like, this guy can do some stuff. He fought him. And it wasn't, it wasn't exactly an easy fight. I think Joseph Parker is definitely his best performance. I think he definitely raised his value of his game because he was fighting Joshua. He also has a win over uh, Dillian White. He has a win over Povetkin. He's got a win over Klitschko. Klitschko was 42 at the time, but still pretty decent. Um, he's he's got credible wins, and this is just adding to it. If he could get this win, I I, I pick him to win this fight. My what I think Usage should do um, in this fight, he's got to stay patient. He's got to figure out a way to win rounds in these these super slow pace on the outside, moving around, making sure you don't get caught early. Rounds. He's got to figure out a way to win those rounds. He's got to figure out at least to split them. So when he puts it, when Joshua gets a little tired in the middle rounds, he's able to put it on him. And he's got to make his power matter at one point. It's going to be the straight left. The straight left is the shot that he has. And he's got to make that, he's going to have to make that shot count at one point. 
it's going to be the, the kind of, I don't remember if you remember Fight Night Champion, but Fight Night Champion, you fight at the end, right? You fight the boss. You got to do like a thousand different things, right? The first first round, first fight, uh, moment of the fight, first four rounds, he's got to move around, get him tired. Then you got to start working the body in the second part. And then you, you know, it's going to take that kind of performance from you. So it's going to take three different parts in this fight. It's going to be the first round of just boxing, staying out of the way, but being able to steal a round or two. Then you got to find your way in in the middle part. And make it count. And make sure you win the rounds you get in the inside while not getting destroyed. Your head took off. And then the last part of the fight, you got to really, you're going to have to steal this. You're going to have to make sure that they know that you are in control of this fight. And you're going to have to make a power land at one point. You're going to have to have a shot that really changes the whole momentum of this fight. It's a lot to ask for, especially against one of the best guys in the world at the heavyweight. I think it's too much. I think Joshua is very skilled. I think he's he's uh, underrated at the, almost at this point. I think he gets away. He gets away with the win in a, in a competitive fight to the point where it's over. We go to the next fight on the undercard. You got Lawrence Okoli in the co-main event versus Dylan Prozevic, and Prozevic uh, is just filling a role here, right? Just keeping Lawrence Okoli busy. At this point, um, he doesn't have the skill or footwork or ability to get to Lawrence Coley or make Lawrence Coley um, uncomfortable. I, he doesn't have that. That's just the truth of it. Lawrence Coley, big, tall, strong right hand, fights under his control, fights at his pace with his distance. He's, he's humongous. He's got good pop. He's not afraid to be in a boring fight. And his shots really matter. They really count that when he hits you, he changes the pace. And I think that most of the time he controls the pace because of his power. He controls the distance because of his power because people aren't in a herd jumping on him. And when you watch it, it's kind of frustrating because you think, like, he's not doesn't have the most explosive leg movement. He doesn't have the most, you know, um, athletic movement or uh, he doesn't cut the tightest angle. He's kind of a very basic fighter, but it's very effective. And he's 100% believes in what he's doing and he's 100% confident in what he's doing. And he's very comfortable in what he's doing. Prosovic is a guy that has some pop, kind of needs to get wild a little bit to land it. He's not afraid to slug it out. He's just very confident in his power. His head kind of stays in the same spot, stiff upper body, and he's got not the best legs. It's not a good combination to fight Okoli. It's really what Okoli wants. It's the perfect opponent for him. He's just a guy that's going to stumble in and walk in at big shots. And I think that's what's going to happen in this fight. Now, I don't want to talk too much on it because I don't expect this to be the best fight in the world. And I think it would be very boring if Okoli just stays at the pace that he wants it and he could ride it out. Now, Okoli shots eventually frustrate guys enough to where they would jump in and walk into something big. But I'm trying to think of, you know, I always try to think of a counter of what Prozovic could do, right, to win this fight. And I would think that he's going to have to change the pace a lot, right? There's going to be a point where he's patient. He's walking down. And there's got to be a point where he sprints in. And he's got to choose those moments uh, wisely. He's got to choose the moments. Because sometimes Okoli does get himself against the ropes. Now, he's usually pretty disciplined. But once in a while, he puts himself in a corner. You got to explode and take your chances at that point. It's all about positioning. That's the position that'll be good. Then when I mean change the pace, it's sometimes you need box and then sometimes look like you're going to sprint and give him some feints, right? Let Okoli react, start reacting. Uh, Prosovic's best shot is his uppercut. And if he lands his right uppercut, he could put Okoli in trouble because he has good pop. It's just very hard to get to that punch because he doesn't really set it up much. He likes to really 
kind of apply pressure, just general pressure, not really well thought out. And when a guy starts looking out with them, he steps back and he lands a big right hand uppercut. That's what I've seen in his fights. Okoli's not that type of fighter to do that. But if you maybe you change the pace enough on him or get him guessing on when you're going and coming, maybe you could set that shot up. But that shot needs to be set up. I don't expect that to happen. I think Okoli controls this fight. I think it frustrates uh Prasovic and maybe the fans watching, and I expect Prasovic to jump in at some point and get knocked out. Seventh, eighth round KO for Akoli, who is a, a big man, is going to do some good things at cruiserweight. Um, they say he's going to fight uh, Bredis. I think Bredis moved to heavy, a heavyweight, I'm pretty sure. A lot of these guys moved to heavyweight because there's just, at some point, you know, it's not the biggest money making weight division, especially uh, in the States, but. You know, you could do some things globally, internationally, but I think that, you know, everybody's goal is just win there and then go to heavyweight, do the holy field. I imagine Okoli will be at a heavyweight soon. You have, you know, waiting to get his big fight at cruiserweight. And then we go to the, we have a UFC card, excellent UFC card. It's going to be on ESPN Plus. Like I said, you know, these things don't come often, not as much as they used to, right? When you had like the UFC on Fox. Fight nice, and he had like pay per view main events, but we got to take advantage when we have it. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega, and uh, Ortega worked his way back to a title picture after when he fought Max Holloway. And he really just looked, he really looked, uh, you know, uh, a few leagues below Max Holloway at that point of uh, Ortega's career. And it, you know, Ortega is a jiu jitsu guy who relied heavily on his jiu jitsu. And start developing a stand-up after that fact. And it's not always successful for guys when they do that. Very To me, I think it's actually kind of rarely that a guy so good in the jiu-jitsu and then gets, you know, the, also develops the stand-up game. Because it's not really similar. It's not really comparable. It's not the same movement, explosiveness needed, athleticism in the legs needed to do it. But Ortega is able to do it. And at, at, a, at a certain point, at a certain level, he looks pretty damn good at it. And he does apply things that what he would have is jiu-jitsu. He's patient. He's always about position. He is creative at times. He, all the things in jiu-jitsu, he applies it to his striking. He's more, he's looking more to box. He has a spinning elbow. He has a, you know, a knee, uh, uh, he pulls a high knee. He has, uh, he has creative strikes. But he, his main thing is keeping a good distance, keeping control of the pace, and boxing at a, at a safe distance. Now, Volkanovski is... Creative. He's fluid with his grab, uh, fluid with his striking, fluid with his kicks, fluid with his movement, fluid with his combinations. He's punching you high, punching it low, destroying your mid, the middle of your body, destroying your legs, and going your head. Now he doesn't have the most power, so he ends up in fights where he has to win a decision a lot of the time. Where he's got to fight perfect for five rounds, to three to five rounds. Ortega has some pop. He has some knockout ability. So the point is of this fight, right, is then we've seen Ortega at a high level get completely dis- dismantled. Now, I think he's better than what he did when he fought Max Holloway. But also, that's at a certain level, right, that he's able to do that. He did it against a Korean Zombie. Now, a Korean Zombie does not fight like Volkanovski. He does not flow his offense together. Korean Zombie, while is skilled, is kind of a one-shot guy and doesn't exactly have the best legs of finding that one shot. Volkanovski can move around. He can create angles. He can turn you around. He can, his legs can change the whole pace of the fight. And I, that's the part I want to see. If Brian Ortega can keep up with his pace, can he keep the pace controlled the way he wants it? 
Or can he step up his pace to, to match Volkanovski? What Volkanovski's doing? Because I think Volkanovski's going to be moving around. He's going to be hitting to the leg, kicking to the body, jabbing him to the body, jabbing him to the head, right, uh, lead hook. And at what point does Ortega kind of not able in his mind to catch up with the speed of things? Sometimes the speed of the game, you get the NFL, right? And the guys from college are really good. And they say, I got to catch up to the speed of the game in the NFL. That's what this could be like. The speed of the striking and the stand-up could be almost too much for Ortega. And I've seen that happen to him before. Now, when he's under control and fighting at his pace and guys are allowing him to do what he wants, he's pretty effective. He's he's pretty fun to watch, actually. His stand-up is pretty good. The question we're going to see is if the pace is too much, if the movement is too much. Volkanovski is very fluid. I, it, this is uh, to me, a guy that's underrated, and I understand him. Maybe he did lose that fight to Max Holloway, right? But Max Holloway is one of the best fighters in the world. He also has a win, a clear win to me over Max Holloway, and I think that if he wins this fight, whoever wins this fight, is probably gonna have to fight Max Holloway next. And Wokanowski, whether you know won or lost last fight, he's at the level of Max Holloway. We know that Brian Ortega at one point was not at that level. Now, have things changed? We could. We're going to possibly see that. It's a, it's a great matchup. It's um, it's to see if Ortega can fulfill the potential that a lot of people saw in him, that he would be a world champ one day, that you know he, he can't he came came from a rough upbringing all the way to you know champion status. He could be a star in the making, Brian Ortega. But Volkanovski is just kind of like that shirt. That he's kind of like that steady movement. That's what he was when he kind of came up too. Is he never never had like a, a big backing behind him. No one really ever said that. Ah, this guy's the next future champion. He just always knew he was good. He would just always have consistent performances. And he would just slightly get better with the talent in front of him. Ortega needs to do that now. Ortega, this is his chance, his moment to rise to the talent in front of him. And he's had some great knockouts, right? He's had some great stoppages. He's had some uh, great fights, some great submission. But can he rise to that level one more time to the next level that he have not seen him yet against Volkanovski? And I'm going to say no, he, he can't. I'm going to say that the pace, I think while this fight might be as competitive early, I think over five rounds, especially because it's five rounds, I think that Ortega, in the middle, rather, the middle point of this fight, it becomes too much for him. And I think that he starts reaching or he starts falling back or just getting unbalanced. And it has a hard time turning with Volkanovski, who's going to turn him the whole fight. I think Volkanovski is going to have a good competitive fight with Ortega early. I think that the later the later rounds will be clearly Volkanovski, and he's going to combo off him. He's going to be able to do what he wants. I don't imagine Volkanovski looking for a takedown in this fight, even though he can grapple. I don't think that's anywhere where Volkanovski, the campy, comes from a very good strategist. I do not think they say, yeah, go to the ground with Ortega. I don't. And I think if there's a point where this fight goes to the ground, I think he could be in big trouble. I think they avoid that at all costs. I think Ortega maybe looks for something, take some takedowns late when the strike is no longer working for him. But if Ortega is somehow outstrikes Volkanovski, I mean, this is a growth and a change. Like, on the level of, I guess you could say Charles Rivera, but Charles Rivera was always kind of like, he wasn't the best striker, but he always kind of was like loose with it. Ortega was like nothing, like really didn't have striking. He was really, if you go back and look at the early fights, like he wasn't great striking at all. And like the level he's at now, and if he can outstrike Volkanovski and knock him out or get the stoppage or just outscore, outscore him, it'll be amazing. Like it'll be amazing growth of this guy as a fighter. And that's what it would take though. And that, to me, I think that's a little bit far of a reach that he's going to get there at this point. 
I'm taking Volkanovski, and I think that that sets up him versus Max Holloway three. Great fight. Can't wait. The fight I called, uh, fight that I called have uh, happening next year, and that's what I imagine happens. I think uh, this is an interesting fight. It, more interesting early than it is late, and I think what we see Volkanovski's uh, just why he's the level that he is late in this fight. Valentina Shevchenko versus Lauren Murphy. Um, you know, they, they're running out of opponents for Shevchenko. And this is why you get these matchups. And this is really a one-sided matchup. Uh, Lauren Murphy is not in the league of Shevchenko. And it, 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 unfortunately, in the women's fighting, um, you get this because there's not a lot of talent in the talent pool. And I'm not saying Lauren Murphy is a bad fighter. She's just not the level. And Shevchenko is at the level of... She, you know, you're talking pound for pound. She's in the talks with any man in the world. Or Murphy's never going to be there. She's never going to be that type of fighter. She doesn't have the athletic ability. And when I say athletic ability, I don't mean like athletic ability as in you can play basketball, play football. Baseball. That's not, you know, it doesn't relate to fighting like that. When I'm saying athletic ability as a fighter, she doesn't have that. She doesn't have the explosiveness. She doesn't have the fluidness. She doesn't have the coordination that you need to compete with Shevchenko. She doesn't have that. And it's going to stand out, and it's going to be one-sided, and I think Shoshenko is going to destroy the mid-range, right? The, not the inside close, not the outside. She, she could win either one of those, but I think the mid-range is where she's going to shine in this fight. And she's just going to light Lauren Murphy up with kicks. And Lauren Murphy's not going to have no way in, and she's going to have to start moving back. Once she does that, Shoshenko's just going to go on for the kill. I think this is a very one-sided fight, and it's it's a problem when you have the UFC, and they don't they can't seem to find opponents for Shoshenko. Now, it's fun to watch her play with her food, I guess. But at some point, you kind of want to see competition. And at what point do you have to say, her Nunez again, super fight? Because I think it's the, the moments now. Shashenko is at her best. Nunez is still great, right? Maybe slow down a little bit. I, th- I think you match it up now. They fought already a few times. Let's do it again. It, it's the biggest woman's fight ever in MMA. It's definitely the most skilled ever in a woman's fight in MMA. Maybe one of the most skilled fights ever. Top 10. I just can't watch Shevchenko play with her food anymore. It was fun the first few times. I've seen it. I don't, I don't, I don't really have interest in it. And you can't really... No credible person right, that talks fighting can tell me the case that Lauren Murphy has in this fight. You can't. You can't. Now, do you know, miracles happen? Do, you know... Um, Upsets happen? Yes, they do. It just, I just, it just almost seems impossible in this fight. It, it, it's, it is impossible. It's just not going to happen. And I, I usually try to do a thing where, like, what can this person do to win this fight? What can the, Laura Murphy doesn't have it. She doesn't have it in the repertoire. It's like asking, I don't know. It's like asking a, a high school middle linebacker that's not going to be recruited to tackle Saquon Barkley. Like, how's he going to stop Saquon Barkley? He isn't. There's no way he's going to. There's. It's not in the cards. It's not in the cards for Lauren Murphy. It just isn't. On the third fight of this UFC card, that's how you know this UFC card is stacked. I'm on the third fight here. Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler. And this fight was just moved to middleweight. It was supposed to be a welterweight. It looks like Nick Diaz didn't want to cut the weight. Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor, all those guys... They're, they're stars in uh, MMA. But they get this... Uh, they're almost... And the town of UFC is similar to WWE. 
where like Bret Hart, right, is an old man. But if Bret Hart came back to like WWE, right, and because yeah, I understand WWE is fake, whatever. But people, you know, you wouldn't see him as like, oh, he's an old man. You'd be like, oh, Bret Hart's probably going to fight for the title soon, right? If he headlined WrestleMania, it wouldn't be like, oh, he's an old man. It'd be like, oh, sick, Bret Hart's going to fight for the title. And Nick Diaz, Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz, guys like that, they, they have that kind of credibility. They have that kind of rep in the UFC where it's like, you don't even really talk. No one ever really talks about Nick Diaz's age where he's 38 years old. Or the fact that, you know, he's lost more fights than he's won in the UFC. Especially in like his recent run. They don't, they don't really talk about that. You just talk about him as if, like, yeah, he's going to come in. He's going to do what Nick Diaz does. And it's like, I, I think that we might not. He's not going to look like the Nick Diaz that you think you're going to see. And Robbie Lawler, we know his shot. We've seen it. Now, maybe Nick Diaz has done a good job of avoiding those situations where he looks shot. But even when Nate looks like he get, he's getting destroyed, you know, because really that's what happened, right? It's, it's happened in a, a lot of his fights, especially in the 70s. He's, he's getting beat down in him. He has like a moment, and for some reason that moment would just like stay on. We're like, oh man, he almost had him there. But really, it's a one-sided fight. Well, Nick Diaz, we haven't seen that 100% yet, yet, right? But he's 38 years old coming in. Now he's fighting a 39-year-old Robbie Lawler, who we know is shot. So, yes, he could very well win this fight. I don't think he's going to look all that impressive. I don't expect him to look like Nick Diaz. I don't expect him to look like Nick Diaz in his prime. And I think that it, it could somewhat be competitive. But I don't think you're going to walk out of here thinking, well, Nick is for the title. I don't. It's just not going to happen. He's not going to beat Usman, who's in his prime, one of the best ever. So what do we what do we want out of this outcome? Because this is very close, very, very close to a bare-knuckle FC main event. Like, if you just change this from UFC to bare-knuckle fighting, you wouldn't bat an eye. Where if you t- told me Usman and Covington were bare-knuckle main event, you'd be like, what the hell? How did that happen? This fight is not that far from it. This isn't that far from like a thriller card. Okay, then we got to start. At one point, you guys just say this is a celebrity fight. Because at the point, you know, these guys aren't credible contenders anymore. I, I, that's just the case. And I just don't think people want to talk about it. And I'll tell you one thing is that Robbie Lawler's shot, I know that. We don't know what Nick Diaz is going to look like. But I know Robbie Lawler came in shape because he's not the one that has to go to the next weight class. So he's going to be in shape. And he's fought more recently. And he lost to Neil Magny. He's lost to Kobe Covington. No shame in losing to them. He had Ben Askren hurt. Uh, you know, that flute uh, submission call, stoppage. What if Robbie Lawler just sparks him? There's, there's a chance of that. We get these things, and this happens a lot. I'm telling you, it happens a lot in MMA. In boxing, they don't. In boxing, they, they sell it. As soon as a guy loses or looks shaky, they'll be like, oh, he's shot. They, they do this in boxing. Maybe it's because so many years of seeing it, they just have the experience. I think Nick Diaz is going to look shot in this fight. And I think Robbie, I know Robbie Lawler is going to look shot. I think it could be somewhat a competitive slugfest. It's, isn't, Robbie Lawler is not going to look like, also Robbie Lawler's style isn't the same as when he fought Nick Diaz when he was younger. And Nick Diaz's style is somewhat still similar. I think this would be some good punches thrown, good punches landed. I think it would look a little slow, a little sluggish. And at some points, it's just going to be a clinch fest. I'll pick Nick Diaz just off of, I guess, the same thing that I'm talking about. Just, I don't know that he's shot, and I know Robbie Lawler is shot. So I'll pick Nick Diaz in the fight. I don't really know what to expect. But I like that the, uh, you know, I like that he's Ric Flair and Sting. Where he just comes back and people assume, like, yep, well, he's going to be getting suplex now. And he's going to be landing his submissions. And it's like, you know, he's not credible to the belt. We got to be honest here. 
And at one point, we just got to call it Celebrity Fighting when it is. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Ezra Podcast.